Well, good morning. It is great to see you. Oh wait, I can't see you. It would be great if I could see you. That would be so cool. So this week um, has just been a really fun week. I've, I've spoken to some of our senior saints that are kind of in isolation. And uh, one gentleman was talking to me this week and he just said, hey, Roger, if you can get the church open, I'll show up. And I was just saying, well, I'm looking forward to that day, but I'm not totally in control of that, but we know who is. But it is, uh, you could be praying for us as we think about um, just how, as we've kind of planned for when that starts to resume, we are looking forward to that happening. So this morning, we are going to be considering Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 to 34. And the title of our message this morning is Reverence or Rejection. One of the great things about the book of Matthew is that Matthew is presenting the real Jesus. He's presenting Jesus, who he was in his person, the things that he taught, and what he did. And, uh, and he presents information. Uh, Matthew is, to some degree, all the Gospels are chronological, but Matthew is not completely chronological. Every once in a while, he puts an important story. He mentions it at just the right time because he has a purpose for the things that he is presenting uh, about Jesus. And we know that it's not just Matthew's purpose, it's God's purpose because God ins inspired Matthew. And so as we consider um, just reverence or rejection, basically we're going to see people respond in our story. We're going to look at two stories and we're going to see people respond to a clear view of who Jesus is. One of the things that we're going to realize is that sometimes when people see Jesus in his glory and in his power, they respond with reverence. Other times people see the same power. They see the same truth about who Jesus is, and they respond with rejection. And we're actually going to see both of these. Have you ever wondered what makes the difference between people who respond rightly to Jesus and people who don't? You know, it's easy to take a step back sometimes and think, oh man, it's circumstances. Uh, or to think it's information. It's, well, people reject Jesus because they don't really know him. They don't really know information about him. Or people reject Jesus because they haven't had the right influences in their life. Or they've had influences that push them away. Or opportunities. We can look at all of those things as a reason that people might respond differently. But here's the thing that we find out as we look through Scripture, as we study Scripture, is that it's the thing that makes the difference is the condition of our heart. If we're hard-hearted, we're going to reject Jesus. If we're soft-hearted, we will read the truth about Jesus. We will welcome him and accept him for who he is. And one of the things that we know is that um, Jesus is the one that softens and hardens hearts. And, and, and we soften and harden our hearts, but that is also a spiritual miracle. And so as we think about our story today, and as we think about the different people and the way that they respond, we should actually be prayerful about that. Prayerful for ourselves, that the Lord would work in our hearts, that we would be touched, that we would be impacted by the truth of who Jesus is and how that shows up in life. And we should also be praying for people around us, for our kids, our family members, people that we care deeply about, that the Lord would soften their heart to reach out and receive 
Jesus. Now in our, our story, uh, there's both stories. There's going to be a lot about fear. And um, one of the things that we, we see, there's a lot of things in life that we could be afraid of. And Jesus tells us something in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. For us, there is nothing more serious, nothing more urgent than our spiritual destiny, than the spiritual destiny of people around us. And Jesus says, don't let anything in life shake you, but make sure that you see me for who I am and that you have reverence for God, for himself. You know, I was thinking about uh, as we face difficulties and trials, sometimes um, there are things that we recognize that are just beyond our control, nothing we can do anything about, and we find ourselves helpless. We find ourselves at the mercy of God, where he's our only hope. And that is a wonderful place to be. So let me tell you about two stories that we're going to be looking at. The first is the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And it's a, it's a common story. Most of us have heard this before. But it's the disciples on the boat in a storm. They are terrified and they cry out to Jesus and they see who Jesus is. The second story is a story about two men who are possessed by demons. And one of, those men, one of those men we find out actually ends up being saved, putting his faith and trust in Jesus, wanting to follow Jesus. Now, this is interesting. The first story ends with a question, who's Jesus? And the second story answers the question of who Jesus is. And so that's really our, 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 our theme that today is who is Jesus and how will you respond to him? So let's, uh, let's read these passages. And let's consider this. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. So Jesus has been doing ministry. He's been healing people. He's been doing all these things, and he's tired. And he says to his disciples, hey, let's get in a boat, and let's go across the sea. Verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. And so the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. So Jesus, it's interesting, this, this trial, this difficulty, this trauma that's happening in the life of the disciples is actually caused, in a sense, because they're obeying Jesus. He says, get in the boat and let's go over there. And when they obey him, a series of, of events is going to occur that's going to stress them out. Their life is going to fall apart in, a, in, their, in that moment, and it's going to be because they're obeying Jesus. Sometimes we face difficulties and trials in life, but it's because we're doing all the things that God tells us not to do. But that is not always the case. Sometimes God has a perfect plan for the struggles that we face. Now, when we think about uh, just a little bit of um, background about where this happens, and, and you can see here we have the, uh, the Sea of Galilee. And if you look at the, all the way on the, the left-hand side, there's Nazareth. Now, that's the town that Jesus grew up in. But we find out that Jesus moves to Capernaum, which is way up, to, up high. And that is where a lot of things in the ministry of Jesus happen. Um, they, they happen in that area. And that's where the feeding of the 5,000, 5, like that X is kind of on a spot where 
um, the, the feeding of the 5,000 happens. Uh, this is where Jesus calls his first disciples. He calls Peter and Andrew, who are brothers, James and John. He calls Philip. Matthew comes from this area. This is where Jesus heals a leper. The centurion who Jesus has just healed his servant, he is working in this area. That's, that's his area. Peter's mom lives in Capernaum, where, of course, Jesus was living at the time. So there are a lot of really important things. The Sermon on the Mount happens here. In fact, um, that's, that's one of the possible locations is actually at the, top of, at the top of the hill there. That is one of the locations where we would suppose that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. So that, that, this is looking across the Sea of Galilee. And so this is, the, this is this, the lake that these men are on when they get into their boat. One of the things about these storms is um, Jesus says, let's get on a boat. And he tells them, let's, let's head down to um, the area where the Gerseracene's on. So, so they are on this lake, and this is kind of the direction. Like, that's the view of where they are headed. It's way out on the other side of the lake. And one of the things that we find out is that it just says here that there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. Now, one of the things about this lake is just the way the geography is, you can just get out of nowhere these massive winds that can just cause all kinds of storms and difficulties. And so this was a really stressful time for these disciples as this happened. And one of the things that we see is um, uh, they, they have actually looked and found a boat that's about the, that's actually from the time of Jesus. In fact, this is an interesting thing. They found one boat and here's a picture of it. They found one boat that is actually the same size, and it is, is, is this boat that actually was on the lake during the period of Jesus' life. So it's, it's the right age for that. And this boat has actually been repaired many, on many occasions. It's got all kinds of different types of wood in it. But as you look at it and as you see the people, you can see that that's not a really big boat. And it's made out of wood. And uh, so they're in a boat, maybe something similar to that. And the Bible just tells us that their boat is being swamped by waves. And they are stressed out. They are actually in danger. In fact, Luke, in chapter Luke, verse, um, Luke 8, verse 23, it says that as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. And it says that a windstorm came down the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And here's where we're going to see these disciples. Jesus is with them. And you would think that Jesus being physically present with you, they've seen him do these miracles. They, they've seen him heal people. They've, they've just watched Jesus' power and they're seeing who he is. And they've decided to follow him. And you think that they would have peace because they were with Jesus. But in the intensity of the moment, in the stress, um, they lose control. They're not thinking about that. They're stressed out. They're in danger. And what we find out is they actually begin to question the goodness of Jesus. They begin to question whether or not he cares about them. And so as they're stressed out and as all these things are happening, the Bible tells us in, in Mark chapter 4, verse 38, it says this, it says, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they, they wake him up and they're saying, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? 
And it, it's just as interesting that, um, that while they're going through all this difficulty and all this trauma and all this stress, Jesus is relaxed and he's sleeping in a boat. You know, that, that, uh, when you think about that, the, the noise of the wind, the, the boat rocking, water coming into the boat, Jesus potentially being wet, and it's an, it's an amazing thought that Jesus could sleep through that. Uh, have you ever met anybody that can sleep through anything? I was thinking about in our family, we have a kid who just in their life, we just noticed everywhere we go and everything they do, they're sleeping. And uh, we just started taking pictures. I'll just share a few of them with you. Um, uh, this, is, this is our son, John. And this, this guy, as a kid, would sleep anywhere. Everywhere we went, we'd see him sleeping. Uh, there he is on the bathroom floor. It's like, what happened there? Uh, here he is in a restaurant with his, his head leaning on the sharp tip of a chair. Uh, one time we walked out into the living room, and there he was sleeping on the floor. And then again... Um, we went swimming, and we noticed all of a sudden he's asleep on the side of the pool. Some people can just, man, they can sleep anywhere. When I think about the, the story of Jesus and him being asleep in the boat, one of the things that it, it reminds me is that Jesus took on humanity. He lived life. He got tired. He was exhausted. He needed to sleep. You know, when you think about God, God's love, God's care for us, one of the things that makes God different is that he's not human and he doesn't need to sleep. But Jesus was clothed in humanity just like us. And there Jesus is, peaceful, calm, and asleep, while the disciples are panicking. And they're just saying, Jesus, don't you care about us? If you look at Matthew chapter 8, verse 25, it says this, and they went and they woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. I mean, they are desperate. And one of the things that you'll see in these passages are the multiple prayers that happen. If you think about prayer, prayer is a conversation with God. It is a conversation with Jesus. And each of these conversations is actually a prayer. And so these disciples, they're, they're crying out, save us, Lord. And one of the things that's interesting is I, I searched on that phrase and do you know that is the same phrase that is used as the, at, on Palm Sunday when people are shouting Hosanna. Uh, Hosanna is how you would say that in Hebrew, please save us. It's a cry of desperation for, for salvation. And so they're praying and they're just saying, Jesus, saves, save, save us. Look at verse 26. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. You know, Jesus looks at his disciples and he's compassionate, he's loving, he is going to answer their prayer, but he identifies what's wrong in their life, that they lack faith. They are not trusting him. You know, I was thinking about um, just how that works in our life as we face difficulties and trials. Uh, why does that happen? And I think in some ways it's because as we're going through life, as we're facing different things, we don't just function intellectually. We're not capable a lot of times of, in, in the spur of the moment, right when things happen, to, to take a step back and just think about things. A lot of times we just react. As we get bad news, as, as we're facing struggles and trials, we just react. And, and Jesus looks at them and he tells his disciples, oh, you of little faith. They didn't feel his presence in that moment. 
And I was thinking about just habits and how habits work. Um, one of the things I think in our Christian life is that we actually need to consider how we should feel, uh, what faith should look like. Those disciples should have been in that boat and they should have said, this is Jesus. Uh, he, he's, he's fed 5,000. He's cast out demons. He is in complete control. As long as we're with him, we're okay. That would have been the intellectually rational way to approach that situation. But they weren't thinking about it in those terms. And so Jesus actually gently confronts them, and then he resolves their issue. It says, and then he arose, and he rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. You know, um, these are things that we need to practice. Thinking about um, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. You know, a lot of times we just feel like, hey, when I'm facing my crisis, I can't deal with it. I can't respond in faith. I can't respond appropriately. And I think it's important for us to take a step back and say many times we don't, but it's not because we can't. It's because we're not practicing that. We're not developing that in our life. I think about just examples like Job in the Old Testament. In a moment, he finds out everything in his life has been destroyed and all of his kids have, have died. And he doesn't just fall into a, into a terrible place. He falls on his face. He's brokenhearted. But he just says, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He worships God in his moment of tragedy. Thinking about Abraham in the Old Testament, God tells him, Abraham, I have a plan for you and I want you to go. Hebrews tells us that Abraham left not knowing where he was going. Moses, in faith, he walked away from the riches of, of Egypt to be with God's people. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament, when they're facing the rage of a, a powerful, angry king, and he's about to throw them in a furnace, they respond with peace and calm as they say, O oh, king, we will not worship your idol. We're going to be faithful to God, and we know he can save us, but even if he doesn't, we're going to be faithful. I mean, a situation that would be intimidating and terrorizing, and yet they respond well. Daniel in the lion's den, when he's thrown into the lion's den, and I think that as I kind of thought about this and studied this, the consideration is that we need to practice being people of faith. Now, Jesus doesn't say to the disciples in this moment, oh, well, of course, this is a hard situation. Nobody could handle this. He lovingly, graciously says to them, oh, you of little faith, and he gives them a mild rebuke. Uh, we need to be people that live in faith. It's interesting as we continue on in this passage um, that Jesus just tells the wind and the, sea, and the sea to be calm. You know, it's interesting that the natural world obeys Jesus. What does that mean? Wind is not a person. It doesn't have mind, will, and emotions. It's a natural phenomenon. But Jesus is sovereignly in control of wind. Water and waves, the fact that Jesus can just say stop and it's peaceful, that communicates something about who Jesus is. And the disciples recognize that and they ask this question, 
It says that the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Uh, his disciples are, are looking at this. There's this sense of reverence and awe as they see Jesus and realize he is the Son of God. And so they're recognizing that, but it's interesting as Matthew presents this, he asks a question. And this is a question that really is to the reader. For you and I, we're to read this and we're to, we're to think about this and respond, who is Jesus? What does that mean about who he is? So some people, and we know this, that this is true for the disciples, we see it in this moment, we see it in the rest of their life, they respond to these things, to these situations with a reverence for who Jesus is. The second thing that we're going to see is that some people, when they know Jesus, they actually respond with rejection. For some, knowing Jesus leads to re rejection. There are many people that when they see Jesus, that he's God, that he's in control, that he has authority, and that he gives guidance and direction, and, and he gives commands, there are many people that just say, uh, no, no, I, I don't want that. In many cases, we, we feel like people don't believe in Jesus, they don't trust him, they don't follow him because they don't know who he is. But the truth is that everybody knows who Jesus is. It is a, a condition of the heart, a moral response to reject Jesus. So we're going to see another amazing story, and we're going to see the answer to our question, who is this, that the son of, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And we're going to see Jesus reach in, compassionately, lovingly, save actually one individual in a town. We're going to see how that goes. Matthew 8, verse 28 says this, When he came to the other side, to the country of the Gardenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. Now, in the coming weeks, uh, next week or two, I'm actually going to pause, and we're going to look at what does the Bible say about demon possession? How do we think about spiritual things? How, how do we think about haunted houses or, or spirit beings and, and things like that? How, how do we think about that? What does the Bible tell us about that? And, and we don't want to be people who just believe things that are made up or imagined. We want to know the truth. But I will tell you this. The spirit world is a real world. There are demons, and these two men are possessed by demons. And, um, and so um, they are, here's, here are some things that we notice. Uh, these men that are possessed by demons, they have massive superhuman strength. Uh, that's not recorded in Matthew, but when we read Mark chapter 5, it says that these men had great strength and that people uh, tried to chain them and to restrain them and, and to protect people from their violence and their, and their strength and their anger. And it just says that they broke their chains that one of the mans broke his chains and that he could not be restrained. One of the other things that was happening with this gentleman that was demon-possessed is that he was, um, all, he, he was naked, he'd rip his clothes off, he would cry out all night, he would grab stones and cut himself, so you could see him, just, just the destructiveness of this demon in his life. Uh, people would try to restrain and guard, and they were unable to. We see that in Luke chapter 8. You know, this is just a reminder 
of Satan's work in a person's life. What it is that Satan wants to accomplish. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. When you think about the way um, Satan presents himself, it's, in many cases, it's, it's, a, it's an encouragement to pursue sin, to pursue things that are destructive. You know, God loves us. He cares for us. He guides us. Satan wants to destroy us. And what happens in this story is that um, these demons, as Jesus walks up, there's this uncontrollable situation in this town. And as Jesus walks up in verse 29, we see that these demons immediately recognize Jesus. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? One of the things that you see about these demons, they're powerful, they are destructive, they know who Jesus is, and they know their future. You know, the Bible tells us in James 2.19 that even the demons believe and they shudder. And you see this reverence that they have for Jesus. They are afraid as they see him. Uh, Jesus has a purpose, and that is to punish um, Satan and his angels. In fact, Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 tells us that, that God created hell for the devil and his angels. It wasn't created for people. It was created for Satan and his angels. But what we know is that every single person that hardens their heart against God, that refuses to submit and follow Jesus, and that throws their lot in with Satan, and those are, you either follow Jesus or you follow Satan. There are no other options. And so everybody who's not following Jesus will spend forever separated from God in hell, which was created for the devil and his angels. And so they see that, they know this, they know that they have torment in their future, and Satan's goal is to bring as many people as possible with him. Matthew chapter 8, verse 30, it goes on and it says, Now a herd of many pigs was feeding, was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. Now, this is an interesting thing. There, there are people who beg in this, this, this occurrence, this story, and the demons are begging. You, know what, you want to know what's interesting? The demons are praying to Jesus. They're saying, Jesus, please let us go into the pigs. And it's interesting that Jesus says yes to the demons. Um, verse 32, and he says to them, go. And so they came out, they went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the water. You know, a few things that we see about Jesus in this story is that Jesus has power not only over nature, water, and wind. Jesus has power over the spiritual realm. There's a lot of people as they think about Satan, as they think about demons, they feel like there's this cosmic battle going on. When we find out in this story, and actually all through Scripture, that God is in complete control. And it was His purpose to send those pigs down, down the, the cliff and into the sea. And so He just told the demons, okay, yeah, go ahead and do that. But the demons have to ask permission. They are completely under the sovereign control of God. And, and sovereignty is just 
Jesus' right and ability to do whatever he wants. Jesus has a plan. Uh, Jesus is powerful. And we're going to see also in the story that Jesus is merciful. And so he, he sends these demons into the pigs. They run. The, the pigs drown themselves. Look at Matthew 8, 33. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything. And it's interesting. They tell this whole story, but it says, they especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And it says in verse 34, and behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. These men, they see Jesus' power. They've been living with these demon-possessed men, totally unable to control them and to deal with them and to fence them in. They're just wreaking havoc in that area. And Jesus walks up. The demons see who he is. He casts the demons out. And we find out that these men then sit in their right mind, something nobody in that town had seen. And, and that impacted the town that got their attention they especially shared what happened to the demon possessed men verse 34 and behold all the city came out to meet jesus and this is the surprising thing that all the people in this town they come out they see how jesus has helped these men they see his power his divine authority and when they saw him they begged him to leave their region they didn't say, hey, Jesus, come stay with us. Come give us guidance and direction. Teach us how to know God. Uh, they, don't, they don't approach Jesus in that way. They come out, they are amazed, and they say, Jesus, will you please leave? That, that is just an amazing thing. So, so you have them then. They are begging him. That's the second situation where people are begging. Now, one of the things that's interesting in this story is when you read Mark chapter 5, you find out that these men, these two men that Jesus cast the demon out of, that, that, they're, that one of them is sitting there, he's clothed, he's in his right mind, and he starts begging. In Mark chapter 5, we see that he is begging Jesus, but he's saying, Jesus, please let me come with you. He wants to go with Jesus. He wants to follow Jesus. And it's interesting because Jesus says no to him. He says yes to the demons. He says yes to this crowd of people that are rejecting him. But he says no to this man who wants to follow him. And he tells him specifically, he says, I want you to go home. And I want you to stay there. And I want you to tell people the amazing things that God has done for you. And how he has showed you so much mercy. And so this man is going to go back. He's going to stay home. And he is going to be a testimony of God's power and God's mercy. You know, there's another story of a person who met Jesus and just a completely different response. You think about the Samaritan woman who Jesus meets in John chapter 4. He tells her all about herself. And she goes and gets to town, and the whole town comes out to see who Jesus is. And their response after meeting Jesus, we, we find in uh, John chapter 4, verse 29... And then if you, if you skip down on this slide, if you skip down to verse 40, it says, So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. So you see, they are saying, Jesus, please stay with us. And they're not even Jews. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, 
it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So these Samaritans, they see Jesus, they have a personal relationship with him. And this is one of the things that we realize, it's not circumstances that determines whether a person submits to Jesus or rejects Jesus. It's not your upbringing. It's not the things in, your, in, in the other areas of life. It is an issue of the heart. Are you soft-hearted or are you hard-hearted? And when you see the reality of who Jesus is, how will you respond? And I think one of the things that we think about is these are things that we need to be praying about, but also we need to consider that Jesus told this man, stay and tell people what Jesus has done. One of the great things that God wants for us as believers, Jesus has touched us. Uh, Jesus has opened up our heart. He has softened our heart. And we see Jesus with different eyes. One of the things that we need to do as we come in contact with people as we function, as we go through life, is we need to help people see Jesus through our eyes. And that's what Jesus asked this man to do. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for these two stories. And Lord, we see the disciples, they, they are getting rebuked, and yet they have faith, and they love you. And Jesus, they're following you in their frailty. And Jesus, you're not hard on them. You love them, you welcome them, you strengthen them. Lord, we are so thankful that you are so gracious and merciful to us at all times. That the more we blow it, the more we can just come back to you and follow you and honor you in our life. And Lord, we love you. We have received forgiveness, such amazing grace. And Lord, I just ask that you would help us to communicate that well to the people that we come in contact with, that we would help people see you through our eyes. And Lord, I pray that, that our vision of you would be true, that it would be accurate, that we would know you, that we would understand you, because we're people who faithfully study your word. And so God, I just pray that you would bring fruit, that you would give us opportunities in your name. Amen.